0: Well, uh, good morning to Christ Central. I'm Harold and I'm very honored to bring to you God's Word. We are almost finishing up in this Real Life Relationship Series. We're gonna look at conflict resolution this morning. Not the most favorite or easy topics, but an absolute, essential, crucial topic in all of our lives with relationships. So. If you have your Bibles, it'll also be projected overhead. It'll be in Matthew chapter 5, straight from the Sermon of Jesus, verses 43 to 48, entitled The Conflict Resolution, Pay It Down. Pay It Down. Let's listen together. Here's what Jesus taught, starting in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's the very words of Jesus. Amen. This is an old song, and I know for some of you it's ancient. It's like 30 years old. It's by a group called REM, Rapid Eye Movement. It's kind of a very popular song of my generation growing up and in the chorus it's so melancholy it's beautiful they used to sing when your day is long and the night the night is yours alone when you're sure you've had enough of this life well hang on don't let yourself go everybody cries and everybody hurts sometimes I wish I could sing it for you, because if I did, you would cry. It would hurt. But if you've lived life just a little bit too long, you've lived life just a little longer than maybe past three years old, or maybe it happens before three, this song hits everybody. I mean, I've never met somebody who could read or hear those lyrics and say, oh, I've escaped all that everybody hurts, everybody cries, everybody gets disappointed, everybody can choose to withdraw or avoid and give up on relationships, or some others will choose to attack and confront and get vengeful and angry. Everybody can get angry or depressed. Everybody can stay bitter and stay hurt hurt people will continue to hurt people. Well, Jesus comes along and he takes pop songs and popular therapy and psychology and he even takes experts and gurus and leaders in religion and philosophy and self-help and even religion and here's what Jesus did that nobody else ever did. Everybody hurts, everybody cries. But nobody else lived and taught where Jesus himself loved and he died for his enemies. Jesus said, you've heard it. Yeah, you heard it a couple weeks ago. Love your neighbor as yourself. But along with that, it would make perfect sense. But hate your enemy. Absolutely. Especially hate people who don't believe what you may believe at this point. But Jesus goes further. He says, I know what you've heard. I know you've accepted that. I know that that, that's how you live naturally, but I've come to give a brand new supernatural life. Love your enemy. Now, this passage in Matthew chapter five, I like to have you think of it someone like Jesus's autobiography. It's one of the most outstanding, famous sermons that Jesus ever delivered. But let me tell you the best part of the sermons of Jesus, particularly here. It's at the beginning. It's at the beginning. We're only reading the passage toward the end. But here's how Jesus began what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And on and on and on it goes. Where Jesus, the first words, where Jesus pronounces is blessed. Blessed. So here's the best part about the sermons of Jesus. Jesus pronounces and he offers blessings before you obey his sermon. Jesus pronounces and gives you salvation before sanctification where you grow and become like Jesus. In the sermon and in the religion according to Jesus Christ, blessings come before behavior. Blessings come before your conformity. Blessings come before your ethics. Jesus announces to the whole world, this is the gospel of my kingdom. It's called good news. Blessings before you behave. You know, Apostle Paul gives us the same sequence. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he wrote, Therefore, you are new creations, a brand new person in Jesus Christ. The old has past, the new has come. You see, Apostle Paul pronounces something. This is something that happened to you. This is your new identity. This is how God views you. You're new in Jesus Christ because he sees Jesus covering you. And and then the sequence is, verses 19 and 21, Therefore, you are messengers and ambassadors of reconciliation. You see, Apostle Paul understood Jesus. He understood the whole religion of Jesus. Blessings before behavior. You are new in Jesus Christ. Therefore, you can spread and you can be exhibitions of love and reconciliation that Jesus brings. So, before we start on this passage, please, I want to make it unmistakably clear. To learn to love your enemies is not how you get Jesus to love you and bless you and accept you. To learn to pay it down and actually love enemies who hate you love enemies who may have hurt you so deeply, even if you could do that, that is not a way that you get God to love you and accept you and bless you. It is only an exhibition that Jesus already has. To be able to love your enemies, to carry out this sermon, is only evidence that God has already loved and accepted and blessed you. So, let's move forward from that very crucial point. I don't think there's anything more valuable and precious and stunning and beautiful and needed today than people who can actually love and reconcile with their enemies. In our families, in our friendships, in our communities and neighborhoods and schools and workplaces in our broken world here jesus teaches us how i've just got two angles first we're going to talk about the problem that gets in the way of loving our enemies i'm going to call that the problem of payback second three gospel practices for supernatural power Just two categories, two angles. The problem of payback that gets in the way. And I'm going to close with three gospel practices so that you can really heal and overcome the hate that comes from your enemies. The problem of payback. The problem of payback. I assure you, I assure you, when someone hurts you, especially if it's intentional, especially if it was malicious, especially if it was really public, or they cost you a lot financially speaking, if and when someone hurts you, every human being in this room you are going to feel that you want to hurt the other person back. When someone takes something from you, when something or someone speaks evil against you, when someone comes against you or threatens those who you, whom you love. You are going to immediately feel what we call an innate sense of justice that that person needs to pay you back. This is the problem of payback. Now, I am talking about a very deeply personal, emotional, relational problem. I'm not even talking about a legal matter. I'm not talking about theoretical matter. In fact, it crosses across all races and religions. Doesn't matter if you're religious or not. Doesn't matter if you were conservative or liberal. Doesn't matter who you voted for in the last election. Doesn't matter if you're Israeli or Palestinian. Doesn't matter if it's north versus south, east versus west. It does not matter whatsoever. Every human being is wired and designed that when someone hurts you, you have a problem now. And it's called the problem of payback. You feel like the other person must pay you back. That's justice. I mean, I think this is part of the reason why the whole Avengers franchise is just killing it. I mean, in addition to the marvelous writing and acting and sequence, but the whole theme, Avengers, Avengers, who does not agree with that? But here Jesus teaches something startling and it goes beyond every religious teacher. He says, instead of you carrying out what you feel down to your bones, that the person who hurt you should pay you back, Jesus teaches, you pay. Instead of waiting and insisting and making sure that the other person pays you back until your emotional relational debt is paid off, Jesus teaches instead, you pay. Jesus goes on to say, this is how the children of God stand out. This is how sons and daughters of your father in heaven, you are exhibiting that you belong to him. You're reflecting what God is like. You must be perfect. Therefore, just as your father is perfect. Oh, again, don't forget. Jesus gives you the blessing to become like this. You don't become like this to be blessed, but he gives you the blessings even as he preaches to you. Oh, there are plenty of ways, I don't know if I have to cover all of them, that we all insist in which the other person must pay us if they hurt you. The obvious ones, you scream at them, you insult them, you cuss them out, you attack them, you sue them. Maybe in some cases that is justified and true. You go after them. Sure, obvious ways in which we want to make the other person pay. Well, there's more indirect, subtle ways, but it's probably just as harmful. You go passive mode, silent mode, you withdraw, no more interaction in person or online. And you make it painfully clear that you want no interaction with the person. You start to gossip, you start to speak some bad things behind their back, and then you rally and influence other people to feel the way that you feel, which is filled with hatred and you despise this other person. And you go around trying to ruin this other person's reputation. Why are we doing that? Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Because it's the problem of payback. My debt that I feel has to get paid. Oh, well, someone's got to pay it. And when the person who hurt you or harmed you or traumatized you, and you can find ways in which you can make that other person feel awful, you see them suffer. Yes, of course, you are going to feel better. You do feel better. It's like justice has come. God is on my side. Things are right again. But can I suggest to you, That even as you feel better, while your enemy is going through something much worse, and it works like a charm for a while, I will tell you, as you feel better, you're going to be far worse off. When I was in a war-torn country called Croatia back in 1999 a lecturer, a theologian by the name of Miroslav Volf had come by to the seminar that I was teaching at and he lectured. It's before he wrote a book entitled Exclusion and Embrace. Miroslav Volf preached to his own countrymen, to sons and daughters whose moms and dads had been ruthlessly killed, siblings raped, homes ransacked and robbed. And he dispelled this notion that in every war or in every fight, or in every feud or division, we have what we call, in the beginning at least, oh, there's an innocent party. And yes, that is true. Some of you have utterly been innocent victims. You did nothing wrong. You did not deserve your parent to do that to you. You were misunderstood. Your ex-friend should have never said that about you. You are an innocent victim. The Bible holds this to be true. But here's where Wolff goes on to say that you who were once an innocent victim, if you react to pay the other person back, your innocence is gone. I've, I've provided this quote where Wolf lectured in this way. Will they, the innocent victims, remain innocent after the act? people often find themselves sucked into a long history of wrongdoing in which yesterday's victims are today's perpetrators and today's perpetrators become tomorrow's victims. Is there innocence within such a history? In addition to inflicting harm, the practice of evil keeps recreating a world without innocence. Evil generates new evil as evildoers fashion victims in their own ugly image. So stay with me here. Stay with me here. If you make another person pay for the harm or evil that they have done to you, pay back. This is exactly what we learned on the playground. This is what you do on the sports fields. If you go through life that way, yes, you will feel better for a little while. You will. You may feel like you're a true woman or man. You've stood up for yourself and defended yourself. Great. But as you feel better for a little while, the evil, the harm, the wickedness, that thing that you think was just so awful actually starts to pass into you. Hate begets hate. Evil begets evil. Can I ask you to consider the possibility this morning that some of you who are so mistrusting and cynical... You're just always mistrusting and cynical. Nobody's good. Nobody's good in life. I should never trust them. I should never give them my heart. Can I suggest something to you? Something has passed into your heart and corrupted you. You have a hardened heart. You have a hardened heart. A hardened heart is not sensitive. A hardened heart seems tough. A hardened heart is apathetic. A hardened heart is prideful and rebellious. Can I suggest to you, do you know what it means? Probably hardness passed into you. When we seek another person to pay us back, we will stay bitter. When we seek another person to pay us back, you have justifications why you're so righteously angry. When you seek another person to pay you back, on the flip side, you'll fall into depression and despair. But in all of these myriads of ways, what Jesus taught was not to make you hurt more. Jesus never taught something to make your humanity more miserable. Jesus taught something, which is the only way to freedom, as to how you can heal and overcome in a real world full of hurt. And the only way human beings get get set free from the vortex and the long history of war after war after war, war, vengeance and vengeance and withdrawal and animosity and hatred from the heart, the only way Jesus teaches is do not go after payback. You pay. You pay. Now, you are going to feel like you're paying. You are going to feel like you're paying. You see, when you want to brood on evil thoughts, like your imaginations go wild of all the ways you can get back at that person. You like start to produce and direct a four-hour movie or it becomes a Netflix series. This is what you've been brooding on. Like you've been plotting it for decades. Evil thoughts coming to your mind and passing through your brain, not much you can help. Not much you can control there. Oh, but to brood on them? To actively incubate it and nurture it and have it flourish. That's something you can stop. And when you stop brooding evil thoughts, it's going to cost you. It's going to hurt. When you are tempted to say something with your best of friends behind closed doors. Something that is clearly, clearly slanderous. Clearly damaging to another party. And you refuse to say that. You don't say it. It's going to cost you. It feels like restraint instead of being cold or apathetic or actively aggressive and confrontational, when you don't do those things and you actually hold back, you actually hold back, you don't make the other person pay what you feel like they owe you, it will hurt you, but that is the only way that that hurt will stop to hurt you. Yes, it will cost you, but it's the only way it'll set you free. The problem of payback. The problem of payback. I just want to come up here with three gospel practices that will give you power. We're done. What do I do with these things? What do I do with this debt that I feel? How do I overcome it? Three gospel practices for power. Let me assure you before I go over the three practices. I've tried them all. I'm poor at them all. I tried to practice them all. And here's how I feel when I try to practice all three practices. You're gonna feel like you're losing power. You're gonna feel like you're weak. You're gonna feel like you're giving up power. But I assure you, you better look at spiritual reality While you feel like you're losing power, you're gaining spiritual supernatural power from heaven. If you dare to do these three practices on a regular basis, I assure you, not only the Sermon on the Mount will become real in your life, the very life and power and passion and presence and purpose and holiness and the love of Jesus Christ will come rushing into your life and you'll begin to reflect your good Father in heaven. Here's the first. Here's the first. First gospel practice: Pray for your enemy. Pray for your enemy. Let's just start there. You got an enemy. It's the person right out now in your mind. Or it's the person you have purposefully tried to forget. And you'd never want to think about. But Jesus says, pray for your enemy. Look, it's really easy to try to not think about your enemy, deny your enemy, repress your enemy, passively run away from your enemy, or to think and say or plot evil active things against your enemy. Jesus says, don't do either. I want you to pray for him. Have you? Do you? Like ever? Do you pray for your enemy by name? Do you pray for your enemy's face? Do you pray for everything about your enemy? It's been about eight weeks now. In my broken middle age condition, I can no longer run. I don't know when that's going to come back. Not that I could ever really run fast to begin with, but I really can't run. I've got tendinitis issue or ligament issue. It's a humbling thing, but it's a good thing because if the only exercise I can get to do is walk and walk and walk and walk and I try to go four or five times a week walking, I've got to go at least an hour And it takes me at least half an hour to get all the junk and the clutter and the busyness of my head so that I'm actually in a frame of mind to begin to pray to God. After half an hour, I got at least another half an hour left. What else, what better thing do I got to do than to start praying and walking? And the walk almost has produced a rhythm, a steadiness, a regularity to my prayer life. I thank God for it. I'm so bad at prayer, I got to kind of be doing something to help me to pray. But as I walk another 30 or 40 minutes and I go scroll through the Rolodex of friends or enemies, people who have been good to me or people who have hurt me, people I naturally like and want to invite to my parties and the people I just say, oh, please, I never want to see you again. But you actually begin to pray for the ones whom you deem as an enemy to you. I ask you, if you try and do it, let's see what God does with you when you pray it. And when you pray for your enemy, you're going to find someone who's going to come along your side, your sovereign savior and counselor and best friend and sovereign, omnipotent, holy God come down. And he's going to take a hold of your heart. He's going to take that very, very prideful, vengeful heart. He's going to take that very angry, self-justifying heart. He's going to start to break it down and melt it down. He's going to pay it down with you. Pray for your enemy. Jesus is explicit. And what you might at first find is mechanical. Oh, oh, it feels so fake. I'm forcing it. I don't feel anything for my enemy. Fine. Since when did Jesus tell you to do something because you first felt it? What may be forced and mechanical. Please, my friend, try it mechanically even, just do it. Pray for that enemy, walk with God, and as you walk with God in prayer, what was mechanical at first might become miraculous. What was forced might actually become mesmerizing and authentic. Pray for your enemy. Here's a second gospel practice. I would like to call it pay more attention To the payment Jesus made. Pay more attention. To the payment Jesus made. We have a God. Unlike any other God. To whom we can bring. Anything and everything. In any condition. All your hurt. All your grief, all your trauma, all your bitterness, all your pain, all your regret, all your shock. Just this last week, the shock you've gone through, all your despair. We have a God that you can pray everything to God. So we can bring our hurt to God in prayer. And God in Jesus and the Holy Spirit hurts with me in prayer. But also in prayer... You know what the Holy Spirit loves to do? He gets me to see and sense how much hurt Jesus had to go through for me. Prayer is marvelous. You really should try it. It's absolutely the vital line of your spiritual growth. After this worship service on a Sunday, if you have no prayer life... The sermon can take no life. And as we pray our hurt to God, in prayer, the Holy Spirit gets us to sense and think upward and outward to someone else who paid a much deeper price. Can your hurt, can I ask you, whatever you've gone through, can your hurt, can my hurt, your worst, your darkest, your secret hurt, Can it really compare to his? Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Apostle Paul announces the beautiful, life-giving gospel in these words. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. The Bible never says that you and I were naturally good and responsive to Jesus. It says you were hostile, you were an enemy, and you were doing evil, wicked things. But yet Jesus still showed up He gave up his body and soul, and he died in your place to make you blameless and above reproach. Jesus didn't make you pay. He paid the payment in full. Jesus didn't say, well, there's still some debt left over. You better pay that off or else I'm not going to really love you or bless you or accept you. No, he paid the debt in full. All of it. That's the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Jesus. A woman by the name of Glenda, I read this story last week, shared of how she experienced unspeakable abuse at the hands of her father. She grew up hating her father. Even as an adult, she could not shake the memory of her father who spit on her. When Glenda finally came near Jesus, When Glenda as an adult finally came close to Jesus and she wanted to give her life to Jesus because Jesus gave up his life for her, here's what she realized, that her seething hatred was just as awful as all the sins that that had been committed against her. Only when you get close to Jesus, you start to see things the way God sees it. Only when you get near the holiness and the life and the love of Jesus, you begin to realize things that you may have never really understood. Glenda understood that as much as spiteful and traumatic and degrading as the saliva was upon her face when she was seven years old, her reaction of seething hatred toward her dad was just as bad. And so she came to understand that she herself easily could have been the one to hurl insults and curse and spit on Jesus himself as he was nailed to the cross. And Glenda discovered, as few believers do, the depths of God's love that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. A Catholic scholar, a monk by the name of Thomas Merton, He once observed on this issue. In order to suffer without dwelling on our own affliction, we must think about a greater affliction and turn to Christ on the cross. Pray for your enemy. Pay more attention to the payment Jesus made. Because in Mark's gospel, chapter 14, verse 65, it tells us, and some began to spit on him. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Glenda learned to pay more attention to the spit that fell on Jesus' face. Mark says that they covered his face before they beat him. Not every gospel tells you that. If you've ever been in a fight, you've ever gotten punched across the face. For you to be blindfolded, for you to not know where the blow is coming from at all, renders you completely unprepared, and that blow will strike your face with full force. And this spitting and this beating is just the tip of the iceberg of what Jesus would have to go through to love and reconcile himself with the sinner like me and you. Pray for your enemy. Please pay more attention to the payment Jesus made. Third, we're done. Pay it down. No, you pay it down. I think it's good that in certain, you know, cultures, when you go eat. Or drink, and you go out with the crowd. It's kind of like a badge of honor, seniority, or like you're just more gracious. We like fight for the check. No, 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 I got it. I got it. Please, if the price is actually kind of okay. But anyways, yeah, I got it. I got it. Let me pay it. Let me pay it off. I, I would think that what Jesus is teaching, he's creating a kind of people who fight to actually pay off that check, pay it down. No, I, you know, I, I'm not going to hold that against you. I actually know exactly what you did. But I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm going to pay it myself. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, that's revelatory in and of itself. And then the middle of the prayer says, forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins, or forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive our debtors, Again, to be able to forgive those who hurt you or took something from you does not get God to love you or bless you and save you. But to forgive someone who has taken something from you reflects and shows that Christ has forgiven all yours. But do you see how organic and how powerful the Lord's prayer is? Jesus doesn't just stop there. Forgive our our sins, our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. What does Jesus teach us to pray after that? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from all evil. My friends, the only way you are delivered from all evil, the only way you are healed and can overcome evil passing into you, is by forgiving those who have so grieved you. To forgive, set free you pay, you don't make the other person pay, is how God doesn't lead you into temptation and protects you from all evil. Otherwise, the evil begets evil. I don't know any other better illustration than this one. So let me share it with you. Maybe for some of you again. In post-apartheid South Africa everyone naturally expected a bloodbath. (laughs) Why wouldn't you? Blacks being systematically, unjustly abused, mistreated, treated as slaves through the entire culture and society for how many years? Well, when that came to an end, they thought, oh, surely, here comes vengeance. But Desmond Tutu and Christian leaders set up a commission for truth and reconciliation in the mid-1990s. And they invited perpetrators to come and tell their stories and ask their victims for amnesty. In a crowded courtroom, a man by the name of Vanderbroek confessed his own crimes to one particular woman. Here's what he confessed. I and others came and took your son and we shot him and we took him outside, tied him up, and we burned him. Eight years later, we came back to your house, and we took your husband. We put tires around him, poured gasoline upon him, and we burned him alive. The unknown woman replied, this is what I ask three things. Number one, Take me to the site of the burning of my husband so that I might scoop up the dirt and perhaps give his remains some final rest. Number two, I'm still young. I'm not ready to die. I have a lot of mother love to give. But you have taken my husband and my son from me, so this is what I ask of you. Two days every month you will come to my house and you will live with me. You will stay with me all day long. And you will be my son. And you will let me love you. Third thing I ask, I want you to know I forgive you. That I forgive you. And I believe that God will forgive you. And that is between you and God. So I want you to do business with God. You can't forgive yourself and I can't forgive you on his behalf. You have to go talk with God, but I forgive you. And to express tangibly my forgiveness, I want you to walk across this courtroom so that I can embrace you. The court records indicate that Vanderbroek stood up only to faint. And the entire courtroom broke out in a song. Amazing grace, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. Oh, beloved Christ Central. Real life relationships. Real life relationships. Everybody hurts. Everybody cries. Everybody can stay angry. Everybody can stay depressed. Everybody can give up. Everybody can sing that song. But who? Who? Who will sing the song of Jesus? Who will follow Jesus? And who will bring healing and love for a world that is dying without the Savior? Pray for your enemy. Pay more attention to the payment Jesus made. Third, pay it down. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask now your spirit would not only take these words that come from your scriptures... But God, you would take us. Holy Spirit, come and grab a hold of our hearts. These very, very hard and wicked, fragile hearts, prideful hearts, hostile, always insisting that we know better. And help us to see and sense the payment you made. Set us free with the gospel open avenues of our hearts, our words, our lives, our thoughts and feelings and all that we do, even to those we count as an enemy and replace what I would naturally do, O Lord Jesus, with what Jesus would do. And so we pray, oh God, we can only do what you would do if you come in and take over by the power of your spirit. So would you do that even at this moment? Let me give you just a couple moments as we come toward the end of our Real Life Relationship Series. If you have never done so or you have already been doing so, God bless you. Right here, right now. I want us to pray for our enemy by name. And I want you to pray for your enemy that God's love and grace would come to that person. And as you do so, let's see what God does with our hearts. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Let's come together in a silent prayer.